forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Alison Maskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I have to wear socks when I go to bed. Hi, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And I was depressed when I got here, but now I'm in a better mood. Hey! Yeah. Pretty good. Behavioral activation, baby. What's that? It's the idea that, like, when you're depressed, it's helpful to, like, kind of force yourself to do things that you normally enjoy, even though you don't actually want to do it. Mm, Like shower? Yeah. Or, like, go out with your friends, even though, like, you don't want to. Yeah, I've been kind of doing that because my instinct is to lay down. Mm -hmm. And then even though I'm exhausted, I've been like, no, no, get out, do hang out with people, do the things. Being depressed is tiring. Even though you're not really doing anything like the anxiety. I can't tell if I'm just anxious because of my life and circumstances or I just started taking prep and apparently like anxiety and nausea for the first like week and a half is is normal. Mm. And also, did you know that you should take your pills with food? What a wild thing for me to learn at 34 years old. <laughs> it depends on what, what the pills are. Yeah, it turns out uh, some pills, if you don't take them with food, it's a real vomit fest. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, I'm not actually throwing up, but it's like, wow, the nothing is scarier to me than nausea. Rebuttal? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I get nauseous a lot or I, I go through bouts of it. I've had to like not become so afraid of it because then it made it all worse. You start crying for me. I think I'm I when I get nauseous, I go, well, that's the end. I'm going to be nauseous forever now. This is my new life. Well, I when I was having a lot of, of bad acid reflux a few months ago, I was like throwing up. Yeah. And you reg. just and you just think this is going to be it forever. Well, no, I went and saw some doctors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just say, OK, I have had flakiness on my skin for so long and I tried so many different things. And then Alex was like, why don't you just go to a dermatologist? And I was like, that's crazy. I went to dermatologist. She gave me a medicine, cleared up. Yep. Turns out if you go to the doctor. Yeah, if you care for yourself. Which is kind of like, obviously not everyone can afford that. And that is like a privilege, but it changed my mind in terms of all these things that I would be like, oh, I have hip pain. I should, you know, I should look up these devices, buy all of these sort of devices or things online that'll say, oh, well, this fixes it. This fixes it. But if if I'm lucky enough to have health insurance, just like, why am I so averse to going to the doctor? Well, I think because sometimes doctors, it's so dependent on the person and the care you receive. And Definitely. if you have like a history of having like doctors that don't take you seriously or doctors that's it. that that's like, why. Yeah. So I get it. <laughs> that's absolutely why. <laughs> There's been some interesting trans stuff where I've been putting minoxidil on my face to try to grow facial hair, which is the generic for Rogaine, but it, it dries out your face. So it actually counteracts the medication for facial dryness. So like, it's this weird thing that comes up a lot with like trans people where you're like, I want this thing to look more like the gender I want to be, but it's also making medical stuff slightly worse. Yeah. Now I'm just putting it on my mustache and and hoping the mustache grows and trying to and trying to keep the rest of it hydrated. (laughs) Being a human person is exhausting. It's a lot of stuff you got to do. 
It's lot so of exhausting to yourself all the time. I twinged my back twice just picking up a box. I know you keep telling me about it. Because I I think here's the thing, and this is like a thing that some exes have said about me is that I I act like being a a, a human flesh and blood person is like um something that is just wildly unique to me and yeah. like <laughs> so like any medical problem I have or like if I twinge my back like the act of aging to me is so mind blowing even though it's happening every day that I'm like can you believe at at my mid 30s I have back problems yeah I can believe that actually it's not that it's not that exciting or interesting of a thing well what's been interesting to me is kind of the opposite of like you know, my mom has had knee problems for forever. She had a horrible knee replacement in 2018 that like took years to heal. And all the time she would like be in pain, but like wouldn't mention it yeah. and, and be like, why wouldn't you say something like that's wild that you're just like in pain. But in this recovery from this knee surgery, like I'm in pain all the time or like I'm it's bothering me all the time. And like you just like get used to it. You don't like bring it up. I mean, I'll bring it up if I need to or like yeah. compulsively sometimes. But like <laughs> it is wild how you just get used to like, yeah, when I walk, it hurts. or like, and, and then you go, that's my new reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty and just endless beating of the dead horse that is the human condition. <laughs> We've got a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking to Elena Joy all about her journey of being engaged to a man and then coming out as gay. And I've been a fan of her work forever. Uh, and I'm so excited by her story. And it was such a fun interview. I know it was great. And later we're going to be talking all about boycotting movies. It's scandalous. This is why you're not in the group chat. <laughs> I have a movies group chat. <laughs> I don't want to be in your group chat. Whatever. <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it. International question. International question. International question. Captain Planet stand account. Unknown. Iconic name. Yeah, it was hard to fit it in, but I think Iconic I did it. Iconic name. <laughs> okay, they write. Hi, Allison. I don't think Gabe watches this, but on the off chance they do, and Gabe, I've been really struggling with the pressures of doing good. I'm someone who believes in the importance of environmentalism, but sometimes it can feel so hard. For instance, getting a bottle of water at an amusement park, having mm. meals that include vegetables from other countries that had to be imported, or buying a product with plastic. Mm. I just feel so much guilt afterwards. I know it's bad for the world. I know I shouldn't feel guilty for just existing. How do I remedy this? Thanks, Captain Planet Stan account. Mm. Okay, there's two things going on here. One is beating yourself up. And two is a very real increasing fear that I think a lot of us have had, at least me and other friends that I've spoken to, about the ever encroaching effects of climate change and and the helplessness and hopelessness that we feel about it. Mm -hmm. So one is feeling extreme pressure to take care of a global problem on your own. Right. And two is the idea that this is sort of inevitable. Did And did you see they moved the doomsday clock? No. I don't so, know what the doomsday clock is. Okay, so the doomsday clock was kind of, it's almost performance art, but it's done by these like scientists and they basically... Uh, they've been doing it forever and they move the doomsday clock closer to like how long it would take for the earth to have doomsday. Mm. And it used to be, it was like seven minutes was considered so crazy. 
And now they yesterday or a couple days ago, they moved the doomsday clock to 90 seconds. I don't know what you mean. Like that, like it's a, it shows how long it would take for the world to totally melt down. So like due to like what? Like nuclear nuclear power or like how close we are based on like climate change to, you know, avalanche, mass avalanches or some sort of mass extinction event. I don't like this. Okay. But I'm just, if one, it's saying like, if one thing went wrong, how long would it take? And they moved it to 90 seconds. And I, so that like, I think like there's a lot of prominence to climate activism and, but, but it has to be done by these bigger companies and the government. And so like, if you feel like, what can I do personally? I think getting involved politically is better than beating yourself up over a water bottle. That being said, yeah, it's not terrible to make changes. Like, it's not terrible to like bring, you know, to have your own water bottle or to, you know, but it's hard because then you hear all this stuff. Like if you actually look into how recycling is done, it's not as well done as we would hope it would be. So I, I, my thought is just getting it really involved politically might be, might help your anxiety around the whole thing, but there's no perfect answer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also moderation, right? It's like it's balancing that like you want to help, but also you're human and there's only and you have to live your life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's I think I really like the idea of like, yeah, making sure that like you are, you know, active in, in these causes if you're able to be. And then also maybe, you know, your day to day life like you can make some, you can do what feels right to you. Like, I think it's much easier to control our home Mm -hmm. than it is to control when we go outside of our home. So like even just letting that be different, like allowing yourself, like I don't have water bottles in my home. Mm -hmm. I have local vegetables when I cook at home, but like Mm -hmm. allowing yourself some leeway when you're, you know, with friends or out and about and living your life and sort of maybe having, having that kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. And also like just remembering that, like, they love to make it seem like this is an individual responsibility when it's not. And it's corporations that are ruining mm-hmm. the environment. And like, it's a way for like those corporations to like make you feel like a piece of shit to be like, but you better not buy this one water bottle. But yeah. it's like, maybe you should, I don't know, pay any taxes and also <laughs> get rid of your emission, your wild emissions. So, or look up, look up greenwashing. Cause I think that will make you feel less anxious. Also, like, Can you explain what that is? Oh, greenwashing is just when these companies put out these environmental, uh, oh, this, you know, happy Earth Day. Oh, we're going to do these little changes that are sort of like PR stuff that doesn't actually change mm-hmm. that they're dumping oil in the Everglades. Right. And so I think looking that up, that's that's the effect that you're feeling. You're feeling uneasy and uncomfortable with greenwashing. There's local stuff too. You can do beach cleanup. You can, but I don't really think the issue is so much that they're not doing enough. It's that they like that they that any slip up makes them feel so much guilt. And so I think it's more about like managing that guilt and and taking mm. a big picture perspective of like why do you feel like all of this is on you? Like, mm-hmm. do you judge everyone around you who isn't perfect in their environmentalism or mm-hmm. do you allow them some grace and leeway? And can mm-hmm. you learn to extend that to yourself as well? And, you know, really working on a balance instead of like, I must be perfect or else I'm ruining the earth. Like mm-hmm. those are some anxiety thoughts that are uh, that are getting in um, and trying to have maybe more balanced approach can be helpful. 
Do you think researching what will actually help versus ruminating on that privately? Like if you research, does going vegan help? Or if you research rather than, you know, and then you read something that says, actually buying something with plastic isn't really going to affect anything. Like, is it that sometimes for me, I don't know the answer. So I've made up the answer in my mind. And the answer is everything. Whereas if you do research and you can hone in on what matters to you and you can hone in on one or two things that you can actually implement rather than spinning your wheels on every single thing, then maybe you'll feel less anxiety because the anxiety will be streamlined into two things that you've looked into that are, that are making a change. Even if that is, here's some people you can write letters to or here's some protests, you know, rather than just being like, plastic water bottles or what this vegetable is from another country, you know, honing in on on the things that actually help rather than thinking that every single thing is a possible mistake. Yeah, but I would I would think that this writer has done their research. Like it seems like they are pretty keyed into like environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you're beginning this journey, then that is like a really good approach. But you know, for this, you know, listener in particular, I think having maybe that framework of in my home versus out of my home yeah, can be really helpful. And I think that that's something all of us can strive for, right? Like in my home, I'm going because that's a place I can control. That's a place I can I can prepare for. I'm going to do my best to have a green home. Mm -hmm. And then the rest, it's like, you know, we're living our lives. If I want to go to an amusement park and and I they don't let me bring in my own water bottle or they don't let, you know, like mm -hmm. letting that leeway be there. So giving some some structure to it so that you're not just like feeling guilt at every turn. Yeah, I think that's what I meant is is finding the ones that make sense for your life. Mm hmm. And, the, and releasing yourself from this expectation that 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 the world's health is, you know, completely on your back like that. That's just a really hard way to live. We can all do our best. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at a certain point, it, it really isn't on the individual. It's on these bigger corporations and the government. And hopefully at least that a, that makes a piece of some of my guilt. <laughs> yeah. Or just, I mean, voting for I mean, it's hard because it's like, oh, vote for people who will make changes, but there's so many candidates that don't even talk about it. Yeah. But I think activism is, is a great thing. And then, you know, but not, you know, you, you don't want to get into a, a thing where, where you wanting to be a good person results in you hating yourself. Oh yeah. That's that a good way to put it. Like that's yeah. not productive and that doesn't go towards the greater good for you to shit on yourself constantly. That's a good way to put that. Well, if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's just between us, P-O-D at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Elena Joy. So stay tuned. to just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous most controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show our guest is elena joy a canadian youtuber who is best known for her queer reaction and advice series lesbian versus baby gay while documenting her personal journey from being engaged to a man to coming out as gay fascinating stuff hello <laughs> yeah. hi hello hello it's it's always 
a bit shocking to hear it back. Yeah. Because yeah, it was, you know, a few years ago now at this point. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a whole other life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all three of us have had broken engagements. So kudos to this okay. <laughs> to this group. You know what? I did know that and I hadn't put it together until this moment. I feel very connected to it. Yeah, wow. Woo-wee. Yeah, basically. Commitment means everything. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. As we go around the circle, my name's Elena and I have had oh a Oh my God. Or not addiction. Oh my God, a broken engagement. Yeah, well, you know, we're normalizing question. No, 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 no. Bad, bad. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that we're just so curious about your personal journey and sort of like, can you take us through like what that was like as you were coming to realize that like maybe the life you had thought you wanted wasn't the right fit anymore or ever? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, where do you want me to start? It was a, <laughs> a long and winding, <laughs> a long and winding road. I was out as bi mm-hmm. for, I'm going to say, five years, seven years already at that point. So I had already kind of gone through the process of of recognizing my own queerness. I just didn't realize (laughs) I didn't realize, I guess, the full extent of it. It both happened, I feel like, slowly Mm -hmm. over a lifetime and then like suddenly all at once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where were you in your relationship with your ex and and sort of like Mm -hmm. how much of it was about like a reflection of that relationship versus just like your own self-discovery. Me and my relationship with my ex was wonderful. And I think that's part of the reason that it this all took me so long is because I was like, he's perfect. Mm. Like he's this wonderful man. We have this beautiful relationship. We love each other so much. We'd been together for basically a decade. Mm-hmm. Like there was no question in my mind that like I had found the best man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there had also never been a question in my mind of whether or not I was actually attracted to men. Like that had always been a given Mm -hmm. in my life. It hadn't been something I'd questioned. I'd questioned my queerness. I'd questioned my attraction to queer people since jump. Mm -hmm. But I had never sat down and asked myself, where do men fit into that equation? Right. Why do you think that is? Compact. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Compulsory. We're going to get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So he was one of the first people I had come out to as bi all these years ago, before I came out to my family, before I came out to the internet. And he was lovely and supportive. And at that time, I kind of thought, okay, I've I've done it. I've told him. I've told a couple of people. I don't ever have to talk about this ever again. Mm -hmm. It now can just live in this like back corner of my brain. Um, That obviously didn't work. And over time, it felt like it took up more and more space in my brain. To the point that I actually had a um, a breakdown one day and I came out to him as gay. Mm. I was like, I think I'm I think I'm gay. Uh Oh, just crying. Absolutely earth shattering feelings. And we talked about it and basically came to the conclusion that that didn't make any sense. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So this was. You know, this was at like, I think maybe the five year mark or in the relationship somewhere like that. So this would have been when I was, let's say, 23. I don't know. I'm guessing here. Yeah, they weren't engaged yet. No, this was five years into the relationship, let's say. But we basically talked me out of 
feeling like I was gay. Okay. And we were like, no, this doesn't make any sense. You're definitely still bi. <laughs> because it, it was like, you know, do I love him? Yes. Do I want to be with him? Yes. So therefore, I can't be gay. Mm-hmm. Right? So we kind of came to this agreement. We were like laughing by the end. Like, oh, silly Elena. <laughs> Thought <laughs> coming up with all these wild ideas. And we, in that moment, um, started the conversation of opening up our relationship so that I could explore my queerness in a way that I never had before. Because we kind of thought, oh, this is just something that I'm, I've been repressing it for so long that it's, it's coming up in this really intense way because I, I haven't been able to kind of live mm-hmm. it, was the idea, I guess. So we opened up the relationship and that's how we lived for the next five years until the long and short of it is that COVID hit and quarantine started. And obviously him and I were quarantined together. We were engaged at this point. And that queer side of my life that I had built, queer friends, dating, going out, being in queer spaces, that was taken away from me. And I was left in this relationship supposed to plan a wedding. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of that combination, that like pressure cooker, where it all kind of fell apart. I was like, oh, (laughs) Uh -oh. (laughs) (laughs) I made oopsie. Because you felt like. Oh, now my I had compartmentalized this very uh, heteronormative life with this other life that was sort of a Band-Aid on that. But then but then you were like, oh, now I'm I'm planning a wedding to a man. And that seems kind of unfathomable. Exactly. Like it was I hadn't recognized it's exactly what you just said, that that kind of compartmentalization was creating a Mm Band-Aid for the deeper feelings and like the deeper issues. Mm -hmm. Because I would think to myself, like, Elena, you have it all. Mm -hmm. You have this wonderful relationship. You have this wonderful man, this partner. You know, you guys are going to get married and and build this beautiful life. And you get to live your queerness and and have that side of your life also. You have it all. Why can't you just be happy? Why, Why don't you feel good? Why aren't you excited? And it was like when I would think about the wedding and when we would have when we would try to plan the wedding like I would panic Mm -hmm. I would absolutely break down and I could not for the life of me figure out why it created such negative intense feelings Mm -hmm. for me so I want to this is a a hot take spicy topic Uh um yeah there are a I'm bisexual as well or you know we were like bi on the internet around the same time then you came mm-hmm. out as gay, but we... No, I know. I'm going to say this right up top. I have watched your show <laughs> for years. Like, for we years. We met at VidCon one time, like, years ago, briefly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was very excited about it. I'm, like, a huge fan, so I'm I'm really excited that we're doing this. Oh, that's this. so nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've watched your stuff for years also. I And so, like, I think there's this and we might ruffle feathers, there's this thing on TikTok and there's thing Mm. with bisexual women who say, my boyfriend is the only man I like. I will not like any Mm. other man. This is the one man that gets an exception. And other than that, I'm a lesbian and I only like women. And that narrative, I feel like was your narrative and sort of kept you in in this relationship. 
I think that because we are so conditioned to like men and that is rewarded on every level that that it's like almost like an emotional support boyfriend for someone who might <laughs> otherwise be just gay, dude. <laughs> I want so obviously I can't speak to other people's experience, but like I did not recognize like I didn't have enough. I don't know if it's like self-reflection or like it, I wasn't at a place where I was like, oh, I don't like men. This is the only one I like. It wasn't like mm-hmm. that. Like I thought in junior high, high school, I was boy crazy, mm. like boy crazy. I it was like a part of my identity. So it, it never it wasn't that I thought, oh, I'm a lesbian. I just like this one man. It was like I had never questioned my attraction to men in the first mm-hmm. place at all. So I wonder, I'm sure that there are some of those people who are feeling like, you know, I'm a lesbian except for this one man where it's like, Ooh, maybe take another look at that. Yeah, yeah that wasn't my yeah. experience. And I, I don't know that we can. We yeah, can't. We can't like it. we can't like dive into that. But because that is a reality for a lot of a lot of people. But le- OK, mm-hmm. so let's talk about like the boy crazy person who then is a lesbian say more about that it's like it's hard for me to even you know it's like so the 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 huge shift for me in kind of having this all fall into place and having this uh the light bulb moment for me in understanding that piece specifically was recognizing that I was confusing my enjoyment of being desired for experiencing desire myself Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed flirting with men. I enjoyed pursuing men and and all of these things because it gave me a sense of validation. It gave me a sense of that I was attractive and worthwhile and and like that I held value as a as a human being. I enjoyed those things. It wasn't like it wasn't like I was suffering through it, right. you know, white knuckled, white knuckling like pretending putting on some kind of a facade. I just didn't know what desire even felt like. Like, I thought that because I enjoyed feeling like I was attractive and desired by men, that equaled that I was attracted to and desired men. Mm -hmm. And then when I started dating queer people through my open relationship, when I started experiencing desire and seeing the way that like emotionally, mentally, physically, the way that I was responding to these queer relationships was completely different than anything I had experienced with men. Mm-hmm. And that's where kind of the, the alarm bell started ringing. Mm-hmm. And so were you sharing that with your boyfriend then fiance or was that like a hurtful thing to say so you kept it to yourself yes and no I was very good at shutting down any kind of alarm bell that would happen like I was very practiced in the art of repression (laughs) by that point so it wasn't that I actively kept anything from him it was more just like if I started to have an alarm bell I would shut it down Mm -hmm. but we were very open about everything that was happening and everybody was on board. And mm-hmm. But so with let's let's describe what Compet is, because I know you've talked about it on your on your other show on Chosen Family. So mm-hmm. what what is Compet? Yeah, Compet. So it's compulsory heterosexuality. It's essentially the idea that being straight 
being a woman attracted to men or a, a man attracted to women, that this is the default, it's the norm, it's a given. So it's the idea that like that's the framework that we are building the rest of our lives and that we are building our experiences, our attractions, our, our feelings into. Mm -hmm. So the framework is I am a woman, so therefore I am attracted to men. Every other experience that I have, I will do mental gymnastics to fit it within that truth, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if it's not the mm -hmm. truth. So I I had to realize and I've and I'm still working on this and I've had to separate mm -hmm. out with men. Do I just find this man funny? Yeah. Do I just want this man to be my friend? Do I yes. just like this man's opinions? Do mm -hmm. I just enjoy hanging out with him? Because the, because of compulsory heterosexuality, if I'm like, I, I think this man has nice eyes. I guess we're in love. Like, yes. I, no, I, there was exactly no... It. There was yeah. no discerning for me that it was just like, perhaps you enjoy this person's um, presence. And that doesn't mean you have to date or fuck them. You can just be Absolutely. like, wow, this is my friend. And I think it was a lot of validation. Like I was like, well, if he has sex with me, he also thinks I'm funny. Yep. And then I am yep. funny because I've received this validation. Yeah, men only yes. have sex with women if they think they're funny. No, it's not That's real. <laughs> it's not real. That's what it tells you. It's absolutely not That's real. It's like it's like personality traits that I wanted, which again, this turned out to be quite trans of me. But uh, personality mm -hmm. traits that I wanted, I thought could be sexually transmitted. Or like, like Nico Case has an amazing lyric where she says, uh, I fucked every man that I wanted to be. Mm. And yes. that's like, I, I feel like we are, because of comp het, we are not taught to unpack that. Uh, absolutely. And isn't that revolutionary mm -hmm. to realize like, oh, this is what friendship feels like. This is what admiration feels like. This is what aesthetic attraction feels mm -hmm. like it doesn't mean I want to bang you it doesn't mean we're in love mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I'm attracted to men at mm -hmm. all like I thought I didn't understand that there was a difference between romantic and friendship feelings exactly. because I didn't experience romantic feelings so I created a narrative of what that felt like which meant that I thought I was attracted to everyone <laughs> <laughs> yep I would say this like one of my exes mm -hmm. I would say this to them that like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just like a little bit attracted to everybody. Yep. And they'd be like, okay, Elena, sure. Interesting. Yeah. Like you, great. Good for you. <laughs> and then after I realized all of this, I'm like learning what attraction feels like, learning what romantic attraction feels like, learning all of these mm -hmm. things. And I'm like, oh, Elena, you poor thing. <laughs> like I could have saved myself so much time. And also it, that's how things get confusing with female friendships when you're a baby gay yes. or whatever. Cause yes. you're, you're like, well, why am I feeling differently about this girl? It must just be friendship because mm -hmm. that's, you know, you don't have any concept of, of what, like the differences between how you want to spend time with different people. Yeah. I don't think I've really talked about this on the internet much, but I feel like I, not that I messed up a lot of friendships kind of on the other side of the coin, but like even once I recognized my own queerness, like as a bi woman, I still held that belief that I was kind of attracted to everybody. Mm -hmm. So that went for men and mm -hmm. women. So I, 
it's really taken me time Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be able to kind of figure out, oh, like friendship is a thing that exists separate Mm -hmm. from romance, separate from physical attraction. Yeah. I'm 30. Like I shouldn't have to teach myself this at 30. (laughs) Like, come on. How different did it feel to be dating once you were out of the engagement and identifying as gay versus when you were dating as a as a bi woman in a in a relationship? I mean, completely different. Absolutely completely different. I I held very little attachment generally while I was engaged. <laughs> like there were a lot of feelings that I believed that I just didn't experience. Mm. Like I thought, oh, I'm just not as dramatic as other people. Mm. Like everyone else just needs to calm down. Like love is not that big of a deal. Jealousy isn't real. (laughs) Everyone just like take a breath. And then I started experiencing emotion. Yeah. (laughs) When I was like falling in love. And I. I really had to check myself and kind of reevaluate a lot of the um, ways that I kind of went through the world. I think I. Yeah. The difference is that. things matter in a different way. Like everything feels more intimidating. Everything feels more intense. Everything feels scarier, but also like it feels like someone turned the lights on. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like I've, until this point, I've been walking through the world in the dark or like in black and white. And all of a sudden somebody put the color in, Mm -hmm. like it's a wildly different experience. How did you approach ending it? I was basically progressively having more and more and worse and worse anxiety attacks around the wedding and around fearing that I might be gay. And then, yeah, basically one day I just I just told him. Yeah, I'm gay and I know this about myself and I can't do anything about it. How did that go? He's like the loveliest. Right. So, like, obviously we were both heartbroken. But like, we're still friends. It was one of the most painful times of my entire life. Absolutely. That's not because of him. It's just because it's sad. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I had to hurt somebody that I really care about. And both of our lives got turned upside down. And that wasn't his choice. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any resentment for that conversation you had had years earlier? Like, do you ever go back and say, what if what if he had just believed me what a question so I've never thought about it like that before but no um because it wasn't him trying to talk me out of anything it was I said I think I'm gay and he you know he's like comforting me and 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 he's just started asking me questions so he was like does this mean that you don't want to be together like is that what you're saying and I was like no 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 I want to be together and he was like okay, like does, so does it mean that you don't love me anymore? No, no, no. I love you. I love you. Does it mean that you don't enjoy being together? Like he was just trying to understand what I was saying to Mm -hmm. him. And I was saying no, no, no to all of the things that he's asking me. So by the end of that, we were both kind of just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You know, so I don't feel resentment toward him. I feel resentment toward Compet in general. Mm -hmm. 
I feel resentment, honestly, toward religion because I grew up very religious. I feel resentment toward the fact that I didn't see queer women. I didn't see queer people in my life around me growing up mm-hmm. on TV, in books, anywhere um, until YouTube. Yeah. That's, I think, where the the resentment lies. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. So once you started dating and you realized that romantic feelings are intense and that you can experience jealousy, <laughs> what, yes. uh, like what, what happened? Were you just like, were you just like, uh, oh, I need to, were you the baby gay that was like, I need to get into a relationship with the first person, the first woman that I'm attracted to? Or were you like, now I am a fuck boy? Like what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh God, I... I have I have tried to be a fuckboy, Gabe, and I'm just not good at it. Because <laughs> suddenly talking to someone you're attracted to matters. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So, oh, God, I it was COVID, right? Like, I mean, it's still COVID, but it was it was really peak COVID when all of this happened. Like COVID hit in March. This was April. Huh? Like, so oh my the, God. the world was. Yeah, the world was shut down. You know, we he had to move out. Suddenly I'm living alone. It's there's a global pandemic. Nobody knows what's going on. So I did start going on some dates, but it was COVID. So they were all like distanced mm-hmm. dates. It was obviously I'm still reeling and emotionally just completely chaotic. I met a woman online through TikTok. Of course, the gayest um, dating app of all time. <laughs> yes. TikTok, the gay dating app for us all. <laughs> Just between us, sponsored by TikTok. Tr- yeah, truly. So I was, I had wanted to like have this kind of period of exploration, but I I fell for this woman. We were together. We tried to make things work for about a year. It didn't work out. And then same thing. I was like, okay, now like, there's vaccinations. Everything is a bit more chill. Um, let me get back on those dating apps. Let, I'm going to be single. I'm going to like do my thing. Let me experience this queer life. And I did that for for a while, for like a few months. But I pretty immediately met, <laughs> met, met, met a woman that has just completely, yeah, changed everything. But I I feel like I did get a period of exploration and then now I'm in I'm in like the most wonderful relationship that I've been in in my whole life. And I'm the world is bright like it. I, it's, I don't know how to. It's really overwhelming to be experiencing all of these emotions. And like it feels like every day I'm I'm feeling something and I'm like, oh, my God, is this what everyone's been talking about? <laughs> This is what they've been saying this whole time. I thought they were crazy. Oh, like I thought you were all out of your minds. <laughs> a specific. And now here too. I am. Yeah, <laughs> us, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious about the monogamy, polyamory of it all. Like, did you did yeah. you go back to wanting to be monogamous? Are you still someone who wants to be open? Like, how did that fit into the journey? Yeah. So at first, I thought, oh no, I I the open relationship style worked for me. This is something that I, that I'd like to implement in the future. But then I realized like, 
once I fall for someone, like that's it. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm full monogamous. Full monogamy now, baby. You know what? <laughs> There's and and okay. So the internet piece of it all of coming out mm-hmm. online and and quote oh, unquote God. disappointing everyone because there's yes this is like again like people are so touchy about biphobia with relation to compet. Yes. People are so touchy about polyamory and bi- bisexuality and like mm-hmm. you're a real person. Your life is allowed to not be mm-hmm. perfect. I'm allowed to not be perfect. Uh, you know, Allison has to be perfect, mm-hmm. but that's Allison fine. Has to be perfect, um, yeah. So like, you know, you're kind of like, oh gosh, I don't want to be bad representation. I don't want to make anyone feel no. like they're not actually bisexual, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And you were like a big bisexual voice. So uh, what was the reaction? How did that go? I know because I saw it, but tell the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I was terrified. Like that was one of the hardest pieces of all of this was that I had created a whole brand persona because it was me, but brand. I had created an entire career around, you know, championing this idea that bisexuality was valid no matter who you were dating and that my bisexuality was valid even though I was in a long-term relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. The internet did not know about the non-monogamy. Nobody did. My family didn't. Like, that was all What? I knew secret. about it. Well, you knew about it because we'd met at, at YouTube and conventions there was and goss, where I would and there enact was my non-monogamy. I knew the hot goss. Yeah, I didn't even talk to anybody and somehow I got the goss. Oh, God, because I was a terror. <laughs> so then when I was like, oh, shit, like now I am going to become the poster child for all of the things that I've been trying to fight against mm-hmm. that. But I, oh, now I'm like proving to all of the people who are biphobic or who hold these negative views of, of bisexual folks that bisexuality is just a phase and they will choose a side and they can't be monogamous and it, you know it's it's not real I was terrified mm-hmm. but I guess at the end of the day I was like I still hold all of the beliefs that I held when I was making that original content I still stand behind the things that I said mm-hmm. I still believe those things about bisexual women in relationships with men or not mm-hmm. but this is this is what's true for me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. So, you know, I have to I have to be honest for really the fir- the first time. Yeah, I think it's like good representation for people who are coming out later in life or who yes. think that you know, anything can change at any time and like I'm still bisexual, but there are people who are big mad that I'm trans, you know. So, There's like, it's, and then there are other people who are like, this is my whole life story. This is what I I did the same thing. Or you, I bet there are people who are like, you gave me the courage to do the the same thing. Yes. That ended up being kind of what happened is like people were shockingly receptive and supportive. There were thousands of people who commented, messaged me, DM me, emailed me, whatever, saying like, holy shit, this is my experience and I've never heard anybody else say it. Mm-hmm. So that was an unexpected consequence was was because I thought I was on my own. Mm-hmm. Like I did not know that there were other people who had this kind of late bloomer lesbian experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. I thought it was like, if you're gay, you're going to know that. Yeah. And you weren't boy so crazy me, as it, a kid or whatever. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So 
I mean, overall, I think it's been it's been a pretty beautiful thing. I do still fear that I somehow have played into this this neg this negative um, narrative for actually bisexual folks. Yeah, but people that want to push that narrative are going to find ways to push it no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, like right. it's not like, oh, without you, they they would crumble, you know, right. like they have an agenda and they're they're going to find their agenda. No right. matter what. My ex's mom, who was like, you're going to leave him for a woman. That's what bisexuals do. They decide to be lesbians. Joke's on you, ma'am. I'm a trans guy. <laughs> you got it. And so he left you. And he left me. <laughs> so joke's on you. Do you do you feel like Compet played a role in your transness? Yes. Do you feel like that's okay, can you talk can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, it's like because my audience asked me a lot of questions and I'm like, I'm not trans. I don't know. No, I mean it, it I can't speak to it. It did because, like I said, I think I thought oh, I admire this aspect of this guy, so I want to date him. Where right. it's like, do you or do you just want to, like, dress like him? Or do you just yeah. want to, yeah. uh, you just want uh, the ability that he has to confidently enter a room or whatever? Like, there were, yes. or, or by proximity to this guy, I could be that type of guy. And that took a long time. And also, to be honest, like, the narrative of, you know, trans kids which I are is one that gets pushed a lot which is great but it's very much like oh I was a three-year-old and I told my mom I'm a girl or you know I I refused one of my exes like I refused to wear dresses and I hated wearing dresses in middle school and my mom's big thing now is uh but you were a really feminine child and how could you be trans and it's like a late in life revelation I mean I'm 34 it's like a late in life revelation, but you don't, I didn't talk to anyone who had my similar experience. I just thought, I, I thought there were so many things that I thought um, were normal. Like I was like, all women are just like women because it's convenient. And like all, yes, women, all right. women are just like, yes. are just like, isn't it fu-? like, I remember I used to do like, I used to like get really dolled up and then I'd be like, isn't this hilarious? Like, I yep. was like, look at, look at this lady. Like, I remember I would like say like, ooh, a woman, like a drag queen, like a <laughs> yeah. full drag queen. Yes. Like, yes. I was like, I'm giving lady. Ladies yes. don't say that. <laughs> no. But I no. think I thought if I was okay being one way, then that yep. was okay. Yes. Versus like now I'm like, no, this is, this is like an active decision that towards a thing that I want. Yes. No, I, I had this so many of this, so many similar experiences, especially this idea of like, my thought was always, why rock the boat? Yeah. Like I could I'm, be fine. I'm, this exactly. Other way. I could be fine. I'm happy enough. Yeah. Why create all this possible conflict mm-hmm. and drama and tension and difficulty when like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. I'm fine. Or it's embarrassing to cause all this trouble. Mm, yeah. And, you know, it's embarrassing to know that there are people who are sort of like, huh, about like my <laughs> situation. I definitely feel yeah. there's like one, there was like a series of comments where someone was like, I think my dead name owes us an explanation because they were uh, like a big sort of man-hating feminist. And I really looked up to them as like a feminist and as like, 
you know, someone who whatever. And, and now they're a man and like, that's jarring. And I think they owe an explanation or whatever. Or there was like yeah. someone who was like, you know, welcome to manhood. You've made the wrong choice, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, I didn't think that there could be contradictions or a messy narrative. I just didn't think that that was, that was possible. Right. And so many of the things that you were saying about like, well, I thought that all girls felt this way or I thought mm -hmm. this or that. It's the same kind of feeling of of the framework that you've been right. given mm -hmm. is that you are woman default. That's the norm. No need to question that. And so you're like doing all these mental gymnastics mm -hmm. to fit your experience, which is a trans experience into the but I am woman and that's OK. Yeah, that's complex. Yeah. Like my when my mom's like, you are a feminine kid. I'm like, yeah, yeah I was a a, a little homosexual man. Like, <laughs> you know, like I don't yeah, right. if I was like a Mab, you would have been like, what is this kid's obsession with the little mermaid? You know what I Absolutely. mean? Like, so yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. There's nuance. And that's that's where I think now these discussions and us. Sure, we might have to take the the kind of the brunt of that, of seeing these comments from people and getting yeah. these negative reactions. But like the the greater good is it that is. there are people out there watching who are like, oh, mm -hmm. there is messiness and that's mm -hmm. okay. Like it's not so clear cut as just like you wake up after birth and you're like, ah, I am gay. Ah, I am trans. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And there's no gray areas at all. And my sister came out as queer late in life. But also, like, if we looked at us as kids, conversely, like, she was the tomboy. She mm -hmm. was, like, obsessed with, like, military. Like, she had, like, a, like camouflage sh sheets and stuff. Like, she was more of the tom the tomboy kid. And now she's, mm -hmm. like, a very femme pansexual. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, the it's also this thing of, like, oh, well, if you were this type of little kid, you must have been. It's just, it's just, like, not, yeah, it's just more nuanced. Yeah, like, there aren't, you can't make those generalized statements about, well, this is what you look like as a child if you are a gay woman. This is what you look like a as a child. Like, that's what we need to exactly get rid of. Yeah. And but and she and she came out as queer late in life, too, because I mm -hmm. think she she thought that gayness looked a certain way. So here yeah. we go. It doesn't. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Elena, Elena and I have both let you all down. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time you're hearing it. You're hearing it from us. <laughs> Allison, I was going to ask you about your experience. Like, I am curious about, because you identify as straight? Uh, straight, yeah. Question mark. I'm assuming this based on your childhood. But <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what your experience is with this idea of compulsive heterosexuality. Do you feel like you as a straight woman are impacted? Is this something that you have to think about or question within yourself? Have you? Well, <laughs> I actually think when I hit my 20s and stuff, I was around a lot of queer people. So I actually had questioned my sexuality a lot and was like, oh, I am just straight. Like I, I let myself go just there. Straight. Just straight. And I, yeah. but like, I was like constantly that. like, this is, I am so boring. Well, I just, <laughs> not, I think it's like, you know, offensive to say like, I definitely allowed, you know, coming from a liberal family, yeah, like having, you know, Gabe as my comedy partner living in Los Angeles, like there was nothing preventing me from doing that exploration. Right. And I definitely did it. And I think for me, the real difference was like, like separating that, like, 
being able to appreciate female beauty and mm-hmm. even finding it really attractive. But the difference for me was I never wanted to, I didn't want to touch, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. That like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I couldn't see like how gorgeous women were and like enjoy looking at them. And like certain women, I definitely felt more drawn to than others. Most specifically that girl that worked at Planet Beauty. Oh my God. Yeah, Like you're, I had like a crush on this one girl that like I liked yeah. her. Yeah, but I yeah. didn't want to, I didn't want to touch in the same you way. You just wanted to keep going back to Planet Beauty. Yeah, but that was also just a real problem because I can't live near any place that sells body scrubs. I'll lose my my life and home. But I definitely let myself explore it. And and if anything, I, because of like the weird microcosm I was in, I felt kind of strange that I was so straight. Yeah, right. But yeah, I let myself go there. I think for me, it's been more about like the ACE spectrum and, um, learning about that and and like learning about just different people's relationships to sexuality like that's been more like something I'm like afraid to venture into probably because of of like just the way that we like originally taught to like think about the world if that makes yeah. sense yeah the compet of of what it means to be in a relationship uh and what mm. sex looks like in a relationship and what in what it looks like when a relation, I know like what it looks like when a relationship is going well versus failing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, as long as you're, as long as you're, you know, doing this sort of specific type of sexual, whatever, relating to each other or experiencing desire in this certain way, oh, then your relationship is going well. And I do Mm -hmm. think there's not a lot of, I do think there's not enough asexual representation and that people feel like, oh, I, I think you specifically are like scared to be like, I don't want to commit to to this narrative of being asexual. Like, I don't want to commit to that. Well, because I don't think that I am. I think sex fulfills different needs for different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not everybody experiences it the same way. And that was something that like I've had to like come to terms with and like accept and be okay with and not feel mm-hmm. like I'm broken because I don't experience it in the same way as everybody else. You made Allison cry. You made Allison cry. This is is so important to talk about. Asexuality (laughs) is also so misunderstood. Like, so misunderstood. It's so important. But I also, I'm not claiming that term. No, no, no. And I know that you wouldn't. I know that you wouldn't. But like, sorry. (laughs) It's okay. My, My kind of point or like interest in asking the question about compet a compet experience within somebody who identifies as straight or cis is like the idea that I think this impacts all of us. Definitely. Whether you're, whether you identify as queer or not, we've been fed this script and this Mm -hmm. kind of box of like what relationship looks like. And it, I think it impacts all of us. It ruins everything. It ruins everything. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It ruins everything and it's not realistic to, I feel like it fits 1% of the people, but everyone talks about all the 99% are like, yeah, I'm the same as this. Oh God. You know, (laughs) like, and and because it's scary to say you're not. All right, let's play a game show. I love this. We never make Allison cry. <laughs> so hypotheticals is a game show um, where you two are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can answer any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And sometimes I pick a winner. Sometimes I'm the winner. You should be the winner this whole time, I think. This whole episode is Allison's the winner. That's nice for me. Thank you. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. 
Would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your partner of 48 years had a whole plan to leave you for their business partner 39 years ago. Business partner? Okay. They even ran away together (gasps) while you were on a trip. But after seven hours, your partner realized they made a mistake and returned home without you knowing. Would you stay with this cheater? So we've been together 40 years. This happened. They've been together 30, 48 years. And this was 39 years ago. Yes. So we've been together for a decade. Yeah. Okay. That's tough. Because if I, when I, because I don't know math. So when I was like, oh, okay. So this was like within the first year of us dating. No, no. They had been together for like 11 years. That's that's so hurtful. How? <laughs> How did we find out? You found this like note that their business <sighs> partner had sent to them at, that they'd kept after they had broken it off. And, and then they confessed to everything. Are you making this up right now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like watching, this is real time. No, I don't stay because that's a lie that they have kept from me for 30 almost years. 30, 40 They've kept the secret and I had to find out by like stumbling upon what else are they keeping from me? Mm-hmm. Right, right. It would maybe be different if they came to me one day and said, look, I have something that I haven't told you mm-hmm. that I need to tell you about. That would maybe feel different. But like to know that they've just been keeping a secret for that they intended to continue keeping. What else are they hiding? Are they still yeah. in business with this person? Oh, good uh, question. Yes. <gasps> okay, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely Wait, not. how now successful is the business? Very successful. Uh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Every episode, it comes down to me being like, how rich are they? <laughs> but is there a prenup? If there's no prenup. Is there a prenup? Um, there is, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, sorry. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, I, guess, I feel like I would stay, but I would just now in the back of my mind be like, well, now I can do whatever I want. Right. They cheated on me. I'll do whatever I want. I do. Well, think, and we're probably like 70. Right? right. Yeah, you're so old. But like, I do think that this one, I think I maybe would have to leave. Really? Because the betrayal was so intense that it wasn't yeah. just like a one off or whatever. It was like they were going to leave me. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot about the part where they were going to leave me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so, they did run away. And they did run so away. With been, they must else. have been having a, a complete affair. Also, to get to that point of like, right, let's an run away together. Affair. You're right. You're right. You're doing the th- you're doing the thinking. Oh, God. And they were gonna leave me while I was on a trip, which is very cruel. Yeah. So what, what kind of trip was I on? You you were um on a um, rejuvenation retreat where you were getting plastic surgery. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely see myself going on one of those retreats for sure, but. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. You know what? I come back. I feel good. Everything's tightened up. (laughs) That's why they stayed. Um, They stayed, right. I looked so good when I came back. They were like, oh, my God. No, they they came back before that. They came back for the interview. Were they paying for the rejuvenation trip? No, you have separate finances. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving on to the next one. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 14 has been giving you the silent treatment for seven hours. To get her to stop, you scream, oh my God, oh my God, my nudes have been leaked all over the internet. You even created a fake email account that is supposedly from the hacker who is demanding payments to remove your nudes from the internet. Yeah. 
are you a terrible parent? And the kid starts talking to me again? Yeah, to like help you get your nudes back. Why? Now, <laughs> why is the kid giving me the silent treatment? Uh, because they just think that you're so annoying. And what? how do I explain the existence of these nudes? <laughs> you just like, they, they don't really ask. They're just trying to like help you in a crisis. What? I mean, we're teaching her <laughs> problem solving. We're, that's, it's a life lesson. I guess because you're solving the problem and also you're teaching them to be careful with their nudes. Right. Right. A double lesson. A double lesson. Yeah, I think you're a good parent. (laughs) Actually, that's like a really good, we should put it in the parenting book. That's like, thank you. Allison's writing a parenting book (laughs) called Are You a Terrible Parent? (laughs) It's just her advice from these. Chapter one, what to do with your nudes. How to use (laughs) your nudes to your advantage with your child. You actually have to take nudes for this this whole the hacker doesn't show the nudes. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. The so your kid just doesn't says, have to see any of your nudes. They yeah. just are very worried your nudes are on Maybe the internet. that's the threshold between good parent and bad parent. Yeah, exactly. Like, are you nudes showing nudes that no. you've just taken? No. That's that's covert incest and we don't like that. We don't. Yeah, we don't like that. We're not on board. All right. So with that caveat, good parent. Good parent. <laughs> I didn't expect that answer. Internet safety. <laughs> Helping yes. in a crisis. <laughs> IT department. <Yeah>. Hostage negotiation. <laughs> okay. Our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You take a good friend to your favorite restaurant. You have been raving about it for years to them and they are so excited to try. You order a bunch of things and they say they love it all. Mm. A few weeks later, you notice that your friend left a one-star review of the restaurant, tearing every item to shreds, including the ambiance and overall vibe. Would you forgive this liar? Uh, no, I would not forgive them. Because they have, run, they have now run the risk of my place that I yes. enjoy getting shut down. That's or what not I was having just customers. Yeah. Yeah. We're changing anything when it's like, it's my favorite restaurant as is. I don't want the ambiance to change. I don't right. want the vibe to change. Like, why did they have to leave a review? They could have just exactly. kept those thoughts to themselves. I agree. They're, they're now, well, now, one, I'm embarrassed. And two, <laughs> like, if the owner of the restaurant ever finds out this is the person I brought in, I can't show my face at this restaurant I enjoy right. anymore. And also, what if they, what if then they decide like, oh, people stop going to it and then it it goes out of business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We got to lose this friend. This friend sucks. indicative of a bigger problem. Who's leaving all these reviews? One star reviews? Anonymous? Like Melissa, Melissa, our producer, (laughs) leaves one star reviews. Okay. But one star review, like, or just tell me that you didn't just say, oh, I didn't like it there. I mean, I don't know. No, I couldn't handle that. I would be so embarrassed. Really? If I brought someone to my favorite restaurant and they hated it, <laughs> I don't know. I would be upset. I would just be like, okay, whatever. At least you're honest, honest with me. Although, to be yeah. fair, my favorite restaurant is CPK. And, yeah, sure. Um, like, like people like to act like, oh, that's a chain restaurant. That's not great. But then everyone that I take to it loves it. So whatever. Of course. CPK. California Pizza Kitchen. Unbelievable. Oh, you can't go wrong. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and follow you? So my name's Elena Joy, but I'm Miss Fender with two R's on pretty much everything. I have a podcast out. It's called The Chosen Family Podcast. It's me, Ashley Gavin, Mac Injimi. Each week we sit around the family dinner table and we talk about gay stuff. And the idea is that we are your chosen family. Oh, that's my Yeah. 
Thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. Stick around. After the break, we'll be talking all about boycotting movies. Just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. Baby, yeah. <laughs> wow. I love that one. <laughs> Is that an Elvis impression? It wasn't meant to be, but I guess it Are could you go like Austin before. Butler where you're stuck using the Elvis voice forever? Because <laughs> you practiced it so long? For two years. Right. So now you can't speak any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of did happen to me, but. Oh, right. You made your voice lower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if anyone can empathize with Austin Butler, it's, it's you. It's me. And then also that you're campaigning for an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, currently. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I picked this topic because I've been seeing kind of, there are kind of two movies, more recent movies that have kind of had boycott campaigns. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to get get your thoughts on it. One being The Whale, starring Brendan Fraser, uh-huh. which uh, he's getting a lot of accolades and awards for his performance, but the movie itself is like very offensive to fat people, mm-hmm. like really contributes to anti-fat bias. A lot of so a lot of fat activists have like called that out and been like, I'm not seeing this movie. You don't see this movie mm-hmm. like we should not support this movie. And I was like, definitely. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, um, and then the other big one is Avatar which a lot of indigenous people have called out as James Cameron has said some really condescending oh, and James offensive Cameron was patronizing things about That's the indigenous so community and and it frame and it like leads to the framework of how mm-hmm. how like what is portrayed in the movie and so a lot of people have called for people to boycott that as mm-hmm. well that one I did want to see but I also boycotted it wow I fell asleep in the first one at I the movie fell asleep theater. in the first one <laughs> so I had I no plans asleep on in seeing the first one too <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, I liked the first one, it but I, like I was, I was younger was at the time. I didn't know what sea, I was doing. Relaxing. I'm a I'm a movies nerd, and I it's been very interesting in the little movies uh, community of people I speak to how divided. So like the group chat that Allison's upset that she wasn't in. No, is I'm like, not upset. I don't even care. Whatever. Okay, so it's a it's a group chat for <laughs> my friends who are movie snobs, and. We all got together for drinks and we're talking about movies. And then there was like, you know, some straight boys and some queer people. And most of the queer people were like, oh, the whale. Right. Like, so we obviously can't see that. And one of the straight boys was like surprised to hear that Mm. and was like, wait, really? Like, so I feel like we live in two different worlds where there's some people who are hyper aware of these types of things. And then there's like my one friend and then also probably the people he knows and then also the awards circuit. Like, he'll probably get an Oscar nomination. Yeah. And well, he didn't. He did. Nominations already came out. I think he oh, did. Oh, he did. I think he did. Yeah. So there's like, you know, there's this wide array of, I think we hear stuff in our little vacuum and we're like, obviously everyone feels that way. And then that's just so not what's happening. And well, I, I don't assume everybody feels that way at all. I just feel like if if I hear the arguments and the arguments make sense to me, then I should listen. Yeah. So the big argument is that I think we are past the world of fat suits. I don't think the fat suit needs to be in any more movies or TV shows. I think it's really offensive. And I think that there are fat actors that could play these parts. 
But also that movie and its portrayal in general, I Correct. think, is problematic. Right. I heard the synopsis of it and I was like, why was this made? Yeah, sometimes with synopses for movies, I'm very much like, who is this Who is this for and why? So it's it's hard because I think sometimes there's boycotts for the right reasons and sometimes there's boycotts for the wrong reasons. Like there's definitely boycotts where it's conservatives saying that certain things are they're anti-LGBT or they the people are saying, oh, this is grooming or they're just like making a big stink about something that clearly comes down to racism. Like there's these sort of conservative or right-wing alt-right boycotts. And then there's stuff that I think has historical context that is a problem. For example, the fat suit. For example, like creating uh, indigenous metaphors when you could actually just use <laughs> indigenous stories. And so I think there's a lot of nuance to the boycotting of movies or the boycotting of any art. Um, And I just don't know. I don't know that it's you can say boycotting is is as a whole good or bad. It's a tactic and it certainly can work. It's just a matter of like who's the power is in whose hands exactly. But do you do you guys take part in boycotting? I just don't see what I don't find interesting. That's the thing. It's like, I don't know if it's like actively boycotting if I didn't want to see it in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And like, I can't think of a movie that came out where people like, were like, let's boycott this where I was like, I was going to see it anyway. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, what's actually difficult is having favorite movies and hearing how it hurt other people like having favorite films that you really enjoyed when you were younger or that you saw recently that you enjoyed and then hearing from people who are actually portrayed in that movie that it it was harmful and it contributed to bad stereotypes and it like set the community back and it was like really painful to watch people celebrate it and etc cetera, etc cetera. when it to you you wouldn't have you're not part of that group. So you wouldn't have been like, you wouldn't have noticed it. You know what I mean? What's an example of another film? Like one that you enjoyed and then you found out later. This is a long time ago. And I was rewatching the Austin Powers series. And I remember loving Beyonce in Goldmember and being like, oh my God, she's awesome. And I thought it was like really good. And I had completely forgotten about how horrible that movie is to Asian people. Mm. I mean, just one after the other with like terrible Asian stereotypes. And it didn't ping for me at the time. I mean, I was like young, but I think I've seen it since then, you know, and then all of a sudden it hit me when I was watching it this year Mm. where I was like, oh, my God. And so the two truths in my head were like, Beyonce is amazing in this movie. I love I love I think she carries the movie on her back. She's She's carrying that entire movie. I really just judging by her other acting performances. Beehive don't come for me. No, she's (laughs) she's so fun in this. Um, I wish she had done more comedy, but also being like, oh, man, like super disappointed to see that. But I'm sure that if if you asked any sort of like Asian, you know, active Asian film activists or whatever, they would be like, yeah, that's hugely bad. I don't even know if, honestly, without like hearing from fat activists, I don't know if if I had gone to see The Whale, I don't know that I would have had a different view of it than my friend did. You know, my friend saw it because he likes to see Oscar bait and he likes to know what might get nominated for Oscars. So he goes and sees all of them. 
Um, and he's not fat either. And I'm like, I wonder if I had seen the whale before hearing from people, if I would have maybe been like, oh, that was good. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like the way I watch things like 10 years ago is very different than like how I watch things now. Like things that like, I remember like at one point I was watching like a, a Planet of the Apes movie and I was like, none of the female apes talk. And I was like, I would have had this thought five years earlier. Like, you know, yeah, like, or even Jewish stuff. I mean, the way that like certain things now that I'll notice, I the whole concept of Jewish characters are never played by Jewish actors. And they kind of always put on what I call Jew voice, which yeah. is just kind of a New York accent or whatever. You know, the, they put on a Jewish voice to play Jewish. And that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and that new Whitney Houston movie, what's his name, is playing Clive Davis and does it. And I'm just like... Ooh, who's playing Clive Davis? It's uh, somebody that's... I he can't... does Jewish voice? Yeah. Clive Davis, a bisexual icon. Yeah. Did you guys know that? They talk about it in the movie. Uh, I don't know if it's... It's hard because you want... It's, it's so unpredictable what films are going to make money. And... I think you can just choose yourself to not see something that you have that you are wanting to take the word of that group is not great. Something I have gotten more and more uncomfortable with is portraying age inappropriate relationships where like we're supposed to think that it's like charming oh that like a 25 year old is with a high schooler. Or Licorice like, pizza. Yeah. Licorice pizza yeah. was and I see people defending like I what like I was like and I like Paul Thomas Anderson but I was like what on earth like we're just we're just this is just fine we're fine with this I guess I kind of boycotted that movie because when I heard about that then I was like I'm not saying I'm not it. interested so, so then it. I did do it is it a boycott or is it just me hearing like oh this is another movie with a, a huge age gap relationship that we're supposed to take as charming i i'm bored by this and i don't want to see it well it's not just age gap it's when one of them's a minor a yeah. minor that's yeah. the other thing yes yeah. not just age gap but one is a minor in the past when i was growing up i never like flagged as like perpetuating harmful Ugh. beliefs and like harmful actions but now i'm like we got to stop normalizing this in movies what about when people have allegations against them like i cannot go with i cannot see anything brian singer has made uh, because it's just like open secret that he is is like abusive to young to young men and underage men and I don't know how this keeps happening like Hugh Jackman just defended him which is so wild or like at least kind of skirted skirted around talking about it because I think he you know he played a uh, uh, Wolverine and that was huge for him or like the whole thing circling Brad Pitt now and people being like I don't want to see Babylon I don't want to see Bullet Train mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that like People have to make their own decisions about what, you know, when do they want to. But I also think it's something that we should, like, be thinking about of, like, what do we want to support and what do we not? And, like, if there's a good reason not to, to, like, really sit with that and examine it and, and not just, like, be like, but I want to see it anyway. There's also different ways to see it, right? There's different yeah. to give your money in the theater versus, like, when it's streaming on Hulu. Like, yeah. maybe even just thinking about, like, oh, I'd rather wait a few months and, and see it in a way that, like, wouldn't lead to its box office numbers. Yeah, it's just hard because it's so Hollywood is such a mess and so dirty. Like a bunch of actors that signed the, you know, petition to let Roman Polanski back. That's people that you you can't you have that whole list and you're like, well, then I would never see any movies. Right. Because it's like even like the new West Side Story that came out. 
and those allegations that were against uh, Ansel Al Gore. Gore. And then it's like, don't go watch it because of him. But then it's also like, what about the other actors? Yeah, supporting the other people that are involved, supporting the Latinx people that are like, it's like, if you boycott it for that reason, then it seems like a failure. But then Latino stories told. You know, yeah, like, it's similar to in the height. I mean, we can't speak to this because we're not Latino, but like in the heights where they were like, well, there's no Dominican, you know, there's no dark skin representation other than like one, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, that's a boycott. But like, I don't know that I know enough to be. It's just like, it's just like so they Hollywood is not good. And they make it so hard to like engage with art in a pure way. Although, you know, there are, I do want to say that there are films that are made outside of Hollywood. There are indies. There are things that are made in other countries. There are things that are, you know, my friend Drew is a film critic and she talks a lot about how people say, oh, there's no lesbian films. But then she's like, you're not, you're not looking like there's lesbian movies that are not being marketed to you. But if you look, you can find them. And so I think maybe not just relying on what's being put on a billboard, but looking for stuff that may actually like interest you and be by people that you can admire and respect. Yeah. But anyway, don't see the whale. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Not, and it's like hard for me because I want to see the things with, that are going to get Oscar. I don't know. The Oscars are also a problem. I have no idea. What do we rate this episode? I rate it nine out of eight discussing compet. I will rate it 54 out of 37 bringing your own water bottle. Mm-hmm. I'll rate it 23 out of 11. Be careful with your nudes. <laughs> <laughs> or just don't, don't, don't get your kid involved. No, we decided it was a good idea. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> Thank you so much to Elena Joy for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Forever.